Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Tox and Tasting Studios, this is a Clerical Errors Podcast, the show that shows you what's behind the collar. So, um, it's just you and me. We don't even have Peter. This is going to be probably a short episode because... uh, we're having computer difficulties because Peter's at work, and so I'm doing this. <laughs> yep, we do the best we can, though. But we're ready to go. The show must go the on. The show must go on. So uh, what do you got there? You got uh, something from the Toxin Tasting yeah. fridge there? One of your, I don't know how you say this, Source Perrier or Perrier? Perrier. Lime yeah. carbonated water. And we got Lent in full swing. Uh, Berg made it safely to Wyoming. That's good. So, uh, yeah, we loaded up that truck this weekend, filled up a trailer or a, a 26 foot truck and a little trailer too. And his microphone was on board. Good. <laughs> so, Vicar, what am I preaching on? Well, it is the su- second Sunday in Lent. So, the text is Matthew chapter 15. Here it goes. Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. All right, so there's a lot of things that I can talk about this, and I will because this will actually be my top 12 list. But uh, do you have any comments before I get into this, Vicar, about the text? Well, I like that she she calls him by his titles, the not only Lord, but Son of David, and uh, like others have before, but she's definitely crying out in faith. Right, because by saying Son of David, she's knows that he is the... The Messiah. Messiah, yep. Right. And she's called a Canaanite woman, which is kind of strange because it's kind of an old term. That That's a kind of, that's a term that the children of Israel used when they were cleaning out the land of Canaan for the promised land. Mm-hmm. And the fact that her daughter is severely oppressed by a demon would reflect that, you she, know, it was not a, a household of faith. Right. So a non-believer. Um, because... Uh, Typically, a Christian doesn't have to worry about, a Demon. child of God doesn't have to worry about demon possession because that's where Christ lives. You see that when uh, in baptism, where when when here at Trinity, when we do baptism, we say, depart, O unclean spirit, and make way for the Holy, Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And yet God, Jesus, makes a wrestle with him a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, he doesn't just give it to her right away, which he needs yeah it actually he seems kind of almost cold at first mm-hmm. kind of standoffish to her and and i'll talk about this in my list and because christ has every right to <laughs> yeah i mean we forget that she's a sinner mm-hmm. and and uh and sometimes god makes you wrestle with him first so well i I'd be curious to see what your list is before, you know, digging in more on that just because there might be some overlap. So what I did is I have a top 12 list, a top 12 uh, sermon uh, theme statements that you can run with to preach a sermon. So 12 different sermon ideas. And if uh, uh, you're a pastor, it's a little too late, I know. (laughs) But listener, if you want to find out which one you think that your pastor used. Maybe he used one of these. Let us know. Where could they let us know, Vicar? 
I really need that card again. <laughs> Somebody took my card. Feedback at clericalheirs.org, right? Right. We're on Facebook, Clerical Heirs Podcast on Facebook. Clerical Heirs P, P4. Podcast. Podcast. And uh, I think we're still doing Patreon, aren't we? Oh, yeah. All right. So this is a top 12 uh, uh, themes, sermon themes that you could come for, use for this text. Peter? Play the intro. Enough nonsense. It's time for Bullhagen's Top 12. All right, number 12. Number 12. Trust in God's word that when everything seems to say that God is not gracious and merciful, know that he is. The reason I say this is she obviously had heard of Christ. In fact, the title, Jesus, Son of David, shows some understanding that she was told who he was and that he was Messiah. And because of that, um, she trusted in what she heard above and beyond what everything else was telling her, right? Um, So hearing, she came to faith, obviously. Right, right. And, Mm -hmm. And she... When uh, the disciples tried to send her away, she didn't accept that. And when um, Jesus kind of said uh, it's not right to, you know, to to take what belongs to, you know, she is not a child of Israel. Um, I'm only sent to the lost house of the lost sheep of Israel, and it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. All those things, she still trusts in who Jesus is, who the son of David is, what God's word promised about him, and she still held to that. Yeah, and she's persistent. Yeah, persistent. Number 11. God has every right to treat us as sinners, to clarify our need for our salvation and his mercy. I think sometimes people might be offended that Jesus treated her as though she was a sinner. (laughs) Yeah, call call it what it is. And the fact that um, part of it is, I think he knew that she would be persistent. Mm-hmm. But part of it is, too, here he is, in a way, comparing him to everyone else. When you, when you talk about the, um, the children, uh, the sheep of Israel, they, they weren't coming to Jesus like this. They weren't persistent. So he's obviously testing her a little bit, but... I was going to ask, do you think he was doing this as an object lesson to show what faith should look like to his disciples? Perhaps. Yeah. But but it could be also for her own sake as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when we we want answers right away, sometimes God chastises us. And yeah. sometimes we have uh, temporal struggles that he allows us to go through for the ultimate goal of salvation. Um, yeah, we've talked a lot in Bible study lately about suffering uh, because there's a lot in, in James, but there's a lot of elements to it. Like you're not suffering alone when you have brothers and sisters in Christ. There's horizontal elements to it as well. And, what do you mean by horizontal? Um, the other people in the congregation, your neighbor, your family, uh, Whereas vertical would be the relationship between you and God. Horizontal relationship with your neighbor and the, the congregation. Mm-hmm. So temporal versus... The text know. has a way of showing that that uh, the Canaanite woman, her issue wind up becoming everyone's issue. Mm-hmm. You know? She fo- follows them into the house. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. So... The, you know, the, the disciples begging, send her away. She's crying out after us, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it even got their attention. Number 10. Christ overwhelms the devil and the demons that seek to control us. Um, one, one way you can take, take from this is kind of an extension of last Sunday where we had Jesus uh, overwhelming the temptations of the devil. And now you have, in a sense, one of the the devil's minions attacking the Canaanite, Canaanite woman's daughter, mm-hmm. and how just like he overwhelmed the devil here, he overwhelms uh, the demons that that possess this woman's daughter. And so, to me, that that is uh, 
you can easily write a sermon where you kind of dovetail on last Sunday and build off of that and say, now this is what it means for us. This is the same Jesus who overcame uh, the temptations of the devil, defeated him, and now he shows a power over all those things that seek to control you, to take you away from salvation. It's kind of an eerie feeling to think that even if you're marked by the name of the Lord and the devil can't overtake you completely, you know, uh, he can still, if you have non-believers in your family or in your, you know, your immediate circle of neighbors or friends, he can still torment you through them by destroying their lives in a way. Yeah, here's the thing. Um, God is obviously more powerful than the evil forces, mm-hmm. the, the demons and the the dark forces of the devil. At the same time, uh, those dark forces are also stronger than you. <laughs> right. And so, you know, as this woman found out, she, as strong as she was, and as much as we admire her, her faith, uh, she could do nothing about it. She needed right. Christ. She needed the Son of David. And so that, that is an aspect that should be humbling to all of us, that, that this victory that God gives you has nothing to do with your strength or power. It's about our weakness and the fact that uh, um, Jesus, in a way, as he brings out her faith, also brings out her weak, weakness and her helplessness, uh, saying, you know, you don't really deserve this. Mm-hmm. Uh, meanwhile, the whole time, he doesn't really ever say no. Right. It always sounds like no, but it's not no. Number nine. Uh, The gospel lesson gives us a beautiful example of infant baptism. I kind of spilled the beans a little bit earlier when I talked about uh, the the baptism rite. Right. But uh, here a mother is pleading for her daughter, a daughter who uh, was weak and helpless, could not save herself, and in a sense... uh, Mom brought this to Jesus. Have mercy on me and ultimately have mercy on my daughter. And so you could say, well, you know, that uh, her daughter didn't have, um, didn't decide to follow Jesus, but God saved her right. by the power of his word. And so to me, that this is, in a way, uh, the prayer of a mother and a father for their child you know, save my child. And and when you bring uh, a child through the waters of baptism, in a sense, is exactly what happens in this gospel gospel reading. Um, God saving a child. And, and the mother uh, realizing the only way my daughter can be saved is through, through you, O, o Lord, the son of David. Um, and when she says, have mercy, Lord, help me, um, she really is also saying, help my daughter. Mm-hmm. And that's what, what being a parent is, really, isn't it? It's, it's um, you know, there's a bad way of children being an extension of you, where it's you, you live your dreams through your children. But on the other hand, it is an extension of, really, in the proper way, of your love. You know, you'd rather suffer yourself before your children would suffer. So to me, this is this could easily be a, a picture of baptism. Oh yeah, parents interceding for their children, um, and that's the argument we need to have out there too for infant baptism. Just like on the cross, Jesus didn't ask each sinner, "Do you want me to die for you? Tell me to, and I will." You know, it's He interceded without our having to ask for it in our helplessness. Number eight. It is not always good. For God to answer us right away, which is something we want. Now, there are times where he does answer us right away. You've right. Been, you're doing a whole uh, Lenten series on the Lord's Prayer. Right. I mean, he does answer right away in the Lord's Prayer, because as he teaches us to pray, he also places in our, our mouths and our words and um, in our prayer his, his very word. So you do have in the prayer God's answer right away. When you pray, our Father, God is saying, I am your Father. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you pray, thy will be done, the, the we know that the will of God is done even without our prayer. Um, and when you pray, give us this day our daily bread, you know that God is going to give you everything that you need. And so 
So that, in one sense, there is that answer. But in the other sense, though, when it comes to things where it's really in his hands, where you don't have the direct answer, whether it's a healing or the ending of any kind of suffering, um, he's going to answer according to his will and his time. And it may not be what you want, but his will is better than your own. Which is hard, but that's got to be the prayer of the faithful is, you know, thy will be done, Mm -hmm. even if I have to wait. Yeah, I've always heard it as God's answering prayers, kind of like yes, no, and not yet. You know, he knows what's best, Mm -hmm. his timing. But the answer might be no, and sometimes we have to live with that too. And and he uses this where this woman still trusts in what God promises. Mm-hmm. Still trusts that he is good and kind and that even the crumbs. Yeah, and, and she definitely clings to that promise, even though it sounds like no at first. She clings to that promise that if this is the Lord, he would not let her down. Number seven. The lost sheep of Israel uh, more often fail to see the need for God's mercy. It is interesting. He says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, which isn't true, by the way. Right. You know, he's playing, obviously. I mean, the Old Testament's full of this all nations right. talk. But he's making a comment about the lost sheep of Israel at the time mm-hmm. who didn't really listen to him. And, uh, and so I think there is that little bit of an interplay here of almost an epiphany theme, too, in this, where where the gospel's opened up to everyone. Um, and, and the reason why I say this could be a good sermon is, is for us to remember that uh, not to, to really listen to Christ and see our need for his mercy, uh, because we, and to think of what kind of Canaanite people there are around us who, who uh, where faith can be found and the word of God can be heard. In, in unlikely places. You mean like at the Freak Factory? That's right. It happens, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, by the way, um, we w- have been in contact. So some people have been asking about having Jace back on, and, and we are in the works for that to see how he's doing. So more bro talk. Yep. Number six. In this text, we see faith not only begs for God's mercy for yourself, but it also begs for mercy for the sake of of others. The, this woman, her pa- daughter's pain was her pain. Mm-hmm. Her daughter's torment was her torment. And as she pleads for her daughter, um, it, 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 it's interesting how, how it's all one and the same for her. And it teaches us that uh, to remember in, in our prayers um, the need of salvation for others and the hurts of others. And and that's what the gospel does. That's what faith does, because in faith, by God's grace, that's what teaches us to love. And that's what teaches us, uh, without fear of our own judgment, because we have been saved by Christ, to then seek the benefit of others and show love to others and be concerned about others, whether it's your daughter or anyone else. Um, that makes me think of the churches in Ukraine and surrounding countries right now, too, needing our prayers. Her daughter's pain was her pain. Mm -hmm. Uh, The pain of your Christian brothers and sisters in Ukraine is your pain. Yeah. And um, because we are bound together by the blood of Jesus, which is thicker than human blood, thicker than uh, human uh, familial relationships. And so... um, so we, we pray and we beg for God's grace and mercy for others uh, as if it were for our own self. Right. And I do think that's part of the reason why the Lord's Prayer is given in uh, a way that is um, not just I, but a we. Yes. That the, the second... Our uh, Father, not my Father, not... Right, father. that the first person yep. plural is used. Mm-hmm. Uh, our Father who art in heaven, forgive us our trespasses, because you know you pray for others as you would even for yourself, and that's something we learn from this text. Number six: Even the crumbs are enough. And as as I think about this type of thing, as thinking of the imperfections of our churches, okay, imperfect pastors, 
imperfect hearers, um, uh, sin all the way around, imperfect singing. Imperfect vicars. Imperfect vicars. (laughs) (laughs) And yet, in the midst of this, uh, even the crumbs that we get are enough to sustain us. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know... And that's kind of what we have. We don't have the the fullness that we can see of God's glory. We don't see the kingdom, um, and uh, we don't see the healing, and we don't see the perfection. But we gather together, and even the crumbs. It's like that. My grace is sufficient for you. You know, even the crumbs right. were enough to drive out the demon that possessed her daughter. Mm-hmm. And so. So in the midst of all of these things, and, and in the midst of, of uh, our imperfect churches, our imperfect pastors, our imperfect gatherings, our imperfect um, uh, everything, the Word of God is still perfect. Right. And even the crumbs, even if we see ourselves as the undeserving dogs, which we really should do if we take God's Word and God's law seriously, um, even the crumbs sustain us. And then that should teach us that that uh, when you can't see it, when everything seems going wrong, and all you have is crumbs, <laughs> yeah, that's enough. Because that's what this woman, yeah. this Canaanite woman, expressed. Because the blood of Jesus robes us in perfection when we do die. Right. So, yep. Number four. This is, you know, I, I love my questions when I preach. Right. Right. You know, this would be, why do you think Jesus came? You know, while everyone was bothered by this woman, Jesus was not bothered at all, was he? No. He encouraged it. (laughs) He was almost playing devil's advocate. for. Right, right. Um, Everyone else was disturbed, but Jesus wasn't. I mean, why do you think he came? This is exactly why he came, uh, to bring salvation to bring healing, to answer the cry, uh, Lord, help me. And so, you know, you're not going to out-bother Jesus. Jesus wasn't annoyed. That's exactly why he came, and that's exactly why he died. And and so uh, her pain, he, he desired to carry to the cross for her. Her daughter's pain, he desired to carry to the cross for her. And... and um, and I think this could be a lesson to pastors too, um, because you know, behind the collar, it can be kind of overwhelming, you know, to 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 deal with people's burdens mm-hmm. all the time, and uh, to to wrestle with them, and to you know, all the things that that pastor does. And but I would say to the listener, though, if you need your pastor. He is a servant of Christ, and he is an extension of Christ for you. He is the word of Christ in your ears, the one who speaks the voice of Christ to forgive, the one who forgives with the voice of Jesus that feeds you with the very body and blood of Jesus. That being said, um, what do you think Jesus came for? So if you need your pastor, if you need to talk with him, if you need his counsel, if you need his forgiveness, if you need private confession absolution, go and see your pastor. And so why do you think Jesus came? This is exactly why he came, and why he is the Messiah, why he is the son of David, um, so that he could answer and he could deal with us graciously, even if he asks us to, to wrestle with it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Number three. When God says no, keep clinging to his yes. Persistence. Right. In faith. In faith. Not in selfish ambition. And persistence right. in what he promised. Right? Right. Which is why it's so beautiful to speak his words back to him, reminding yourself, too, that you've already promised this. So and, these are the words I'm asking for. And is that what the woman kind of does is speaks mm-hmm. his words? Yep. You know, even the crumbs, the dog even gets the crumbs that fall from the master's table, you know. Using his words to almost against him. Wouldn't you just have loved to see the twinkle in her eye when she said that to him? Or was it? It's hard to tell from if it was more of a plea, or if it was a, you know. Uh, <clears throat> I think she was in such anguish that yeah. <laughs> so such anguish and so such a desperate condition. I mean, 
take your think of of what it was like to be in her household. What it was like to deal with their daughter day after day after day after day. Clean, uh, cleaning up lots of pea soup or <laughs> <laughs> I mean it was yeah you know all jokes aside right anyone who's who's had lived in a difficult situation whether someone was abusive or someone had substance abuse issues or whatever the case may be um, it really does uh, make life for yourself quite a torment especially you know when when someone is really sick or recovering from surgery or struggling with cancer um, a lot of times a person who's really broken up even more than the one who is sick is the one who's a primary caretaker in the home. And, and that is a really, really desperate situation. And so sometimes God might say no to you, but you still cling on what he has said yes to. And you do come to a certain point where you, it's out of your control. You try to handle things in life, but at some point, it just clicks that this is beyond you. You so need for, help. So, for example, Paul, when he talks mm-hmm. about the, his thorn in his right. flesh, you know, God kept on saying no to him. So what did he learn? To cling to what God's yes was. My grace is sufficient, is sufficient for you. And so in the midst of ever the world telling you no or the world telling you God is not gracious or telling you God doesn't care, cling to what God has said in his word and what he has promised in his word. He is gracious. He is merciful. He is slow to anger, abounding in love. He is a resurrection of life. He is a good shepherd. He is the light of the world. And uh, cling to those things even when God places no to other things. And I think you've talked about it on here before, too. I know you've talked to me about it. Sometimes people are so worried and consumed about things that are uncertain, and you remind them, what is certain in their life, such as the cross? I, you know, I, I, I'll be honest, okay? The, the other, you know how you go down YouTube rabbit holes? Right. I, I, the other night I went through a YouTube rabbit hole. Do you know what it was? What's that? I started going to a YouTube rabbit hole on on uh, nuclear war and, and, and watching videos on, uh, you know, the Satan 2 megaton... Oh, no. (laughs) And, uh, you know, walking, looking back at what predictions like two or three years ago, like if we were to have a a nuclear war, you know, uh, someone ran. Who would get it first or how far would it spread? Right. It's kind of this morbid curiosity. Like my brain is telling. And I actually dream this way, too. My wife laughs at me um, that I have uh, I have hero dreams. Okay, Where. Like your, I had your a calves save the day, or <laughs> well, well, like during nine eleven when all that was going on, I was having dreams that I was like in caves fighting terrorists. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I've had dreams where, um, like the particularly, I was for some reason I was like in Ukrainian theater theater house, and I was like screaming at people to take cover while I was like wrestling a Russian soldier. <laughs> I don't know why that is. I dream that way, but man, maybe you have a second life out there that, <laughs> like maybe a I superhero that someone. slips away for the night. <laughs> it's weird, but that's like, yeah. I have that's. So, what'd you find out? Is uh, Iowa in a safe spot for the probable targets? Um, I, f- I found out that, like the Midwest. Now, remember, we're talking about uncertainty. It would be the target of a special kind of bomb that would be used to uh um to damage our soils with radiation mm. so some sort of like a like a dirty weapon so that our, our grain would be unusable and our land would be unusable for Man, that is playing dirty remember i told you the <laughs> they could do the same with the great lakes the water source but yeah yeah i mean how clean is that water anyways <laughs> yeah <laughs> No, I'm kidding. They, but, uh, they call those rabbit holes a click hole, don't they? <laughs> right. So, not that I would like start talking about this way in the sermon, but you know, talking about those things. But you know, I'll be honest, I'm sure I'm not the one who's looking at those things this past couple of weeks. So back to what is certain, right? Right. Your baptism, mm-hmm. Christ's death and resurrection. 
that uh, even the crumbs that fall from the master's table are way more powerful than any threat that we face today. The promises in the Lord's Supper. Right. So um, that would be a good way. And I also think, think of it this way too, by the way. Her daughter was consumed with evil, right? Mm -hmm. Demon-possessed, controlled by a demon, a devil. And to think as she was tormented by it and God changed it. I mean, we've got uh, someone who, I don't know if he's controlled by a demon, but probably kind of is in a way with Vladimir Putin. Um, there, I, I don't know if you remember this, but it seemed like didn't he have a, a talk with Biden a year ago and Biden said something about you have hollow eyes or, you know, something about his eyes. Maybe he should know. I don't know. <laughs> right. Just the thought of two hollow sets of eyes just staring at each other. <laughs> All right. Oh. So when God says no, keep clinging to his yes. Yes. That's number three. That brings us to number two. This, is, this theme is Iowa-based. Okay. All right, because what sport is king in Iowa? Well, almost none professionally, right? Right. Like if you've spent any time in Iowa, there's one sport that people really obsess of more than other places of the country. All I can think about is the Field of Dreams, and that's not it. Nope. Nope. Uh, I'll give you a hint. It's in our gospel or our Old Testament reading. What's in the Old Testament reading? Oh, Genesis 32. What sport is in that? There's actually a sport in wrestling. that. Wrestling. <laughs> yes. All right. Yes. Really? I was known for wrestling? Yes. At a professional level or or just a tug in high school? <laughs> Vicar, how could you live in Iowa this long and not understand wrestling? In Iowa, maybe I should have taken you to some more some high school wrestling yeah. matches. It it was big in my small town growing up too. Like yeah, like who? What are two of the strongest wrestling programs? Three is strong national wrestling programs as far as university, mm -hmm. Iowa, Iowa State, and even U and I is usually ranked in the top twenty every year. Okay, Northern Iowa. Yeah, I was a wrestling state. Now you know. Now I know. Right. And not the not the kind of wrestling that Chris Christian <laughs> tries. Okay. All right? You got me? I got you. All right. So God wrestles with us sometimes. Okay. He wrestles uh, in our Old Testament with? Jacob. Jacob. And he wrestles with, in a sense, this Canaanite woman. And in this wrestling, he teaches a few things. He teaches uh, patience and humility. I mean, he really does wrestle with her, doesn't she? Doesn't just give in. He wrestles with her. He brings out the faith. He purifies that faith. In, in that wrestling with her, she learns uh, to be fervent and ardent in her prayer for her daughter without giving up. In that wrestling, it brought out the faith that she had, mm -hmm. that when when everything is saying no, that to trust in what God has promised. And so in this text, we see, in a sense, God wrestling with the child of God, okay? At the meantime, on the other hand, he wrestles with us so that he can uh, bring about patience, humility, uh, and, and, uh, and hope in the promise and faith. Meanwhile, he crushes the devil. He drives out the demon. He overwhelms death. He completely defeats those things. So he might wrestle with you, but on the other hand, he he crushes, he defeats your enemies it's, it's for so, you. So you can see his power. So what would you say to the listener who seeks an answer in God's word to something they're wondering about and doesn't like what the, the answer they find? You know, what, what I would say that that's, that's what faith is. Okay, um, when 
one of the biggest struggles I think we have nowadays with Christianity is kind of a Christian version of, um, what do you call it, uh, uh, confirmation bias. Okay? So, for example, where people say, I'm going to this church because I agree with it. Now, to a certain degree, there's, that's okay where you can say, well, I agree that God's word is, the Bible is God's word. That's one thing. Mm-hmm. But there's another thing to say, well, they teach what I believe. Because sometimes that happens where a church may, you might agree with a lot of things they say. And so in a sense, you're saying, I am going to find a church that appeals to me. Right. Rather than going to a church where God's word is there, that might actually challenge what you believe. You've probably noticed this a lot of times when we talk about sermons, and I say, how does this address our incorrect thinking about things? Faith is always a challenge, and it always is in God's word. There's a part that should make you uncomfortable because a good sermon actually teaches you and pushes you on what you have believed in your heart of hearts about a lot of things. And uh, you've probably even noticed that, right? I shy away of talking about things that I know just everyone will agree with. Right? Yep. yep. <laughs> I go after the kinds of things that they make will make them wrestle. Wrestle and uncomfortable because, because God's word is, in his will, is greater than your own. And so part of faith and being a part of a church and having a pastor and learning to confess your sins is all about God's word, which is true, confronting everything else. I have a friend that wrote almost a complete sermon on the gradual text, which said something like, stir up our hearts. And what that means, that we are literally asking God to stir up what we're comfortable in so that we can be you know, shaped and conformed to his image and likeness. And, and this also then is why you, you weave carefully when you, you, like if you were trying to bring politics mm-hmm. into things, because that's a different realm. Boy, that's a tough one too, because we still have the charge to render unto Caesar mm-hmm. what is Caesar's and render unto God what is God's. Yeah. It's, that's, a, that's a hard one to split. So... So, I mean, that wrestling, so that to answer your question, what do you, what was this basically, what do you do when they feel is that, well, that's actually the nature of God's word of being a part of a church. You should go to church to be confronted. You should go to church so that with the idea of how is God's word going to change my mind today? Right. Change our hearts. What happens many times, um, you know, behind the collar is... It's not many times, but it happens a lot, is, is when someone is confronted with God's word. They might get mad at the pastor. Well, what's, you know, what's the issue with? Is it with the pastor or with, you know, if he said God's word, where's your argument? Right. With God's word. Um, now, part of it is maybe there's a dis- misunderstanding about exactly what the pastor is saying. Um, and uh, how it's being heard. And there could be miscommunication. But ultimately, um, it really is... Uh, I've, 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 I've said this before in the podcast, that preaching is a two-way street. That meaning, um, not only is preaching about preaching a good sermon, but uh, you're not preaching with, with, unless someone is there hearing you preach. And there is a side to preaching where it is to be a good listener and, and to take to heart and seek how this changes how you view God and his word and, and yourself based on nothing other than what the word of God says. And, and that, that is something I think is lost. We live in a society where we don't offer anybody the opportunity to change their minds. If you say something 15 years ago, you could be canceled for it. As if to say, whatever you said and believe 15 years ago is who you are today. It brings no room for repentance. Right. And those 
sayings like people don't change. Well, yeah, they can. You know, God changes people. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking too, that phrase, the, the customer's always right. Sometimes people take that to heart and maybe even to church with them as if they're a customer there and that they should be right and be able to be fed by something they like to hear instead right. of what they need to hear. Which, which is why um, when, a, when a church calls a pastor, um, you can't just remove a pastor for anything really outside of either a dereliction of duties or an unable to do what he's doing and, and false teaching. Right. Um, or, or uh, you know, not being able to actually do what he is called to do because, because there's a recognition that if he is preaching God's word, that that's, we, that's not a reason. Might, he might bring up uncomfortable things, but that's because maybe you need to hear it. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, going back to that discussion of, of uh, you know, going to church to hear God's word rather than it just being, well, they believe what I believe about the si- about everything that, that that brings about. I wonder why, too, our creeds are not more collective like that. It's, it is an I believe creed mm-hmm. as opposed to a we believe, yet we say it together. Well, uh, yeah, I'm I sure think there's it, even the word confess mm-hmm. is, is this something you, you say together. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, probably because it's a statement of your faith and a statement of my faith together. Um, part of it is, is really when... A good example of this is the uh, the Bible passage that we are teaching the three and four year olds next door. I want to see if you could remember it. The heart one. Yeah. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Just as Scripture says, anyone who trusts puts their trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. So in that passage. Um, it's kind of interesting. You have two things. You have the faith with that you believe with your heart, but that's not enough. Right. <laughs> or it's, I mean, it is kind of in a sense enough, but it's not the whole picture. Right. Because it's with your heart with you that you believe, and also there's another aspect with your mouth that you confess. So let me play this out for a minute, all right? Mm-hmm. So this, is, this comes up a lot of times when you're talking about close communion. Someone could say, uh, well, you could say, well, do you believe that uh, you are receiving the very body and blood for the forgiveness of sins? And a whole host of people from a whole host of dominations might say, yeah, today I believe it with my heart. <laughs> right? And they could honestly think, oh, that sounds reasonable, not having any idea what their own church teaches. Mm-hmm. And, and you see what that passage does. It's not just with your heart that you believe, but it's also the faith that you confess. Because what happens is, really, that shows that what's what our heart believes from day to day actually does waver a lot, more than we like to think. And and as our heart goes up and down and struggles, oh, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, what happens is the confession that you have as a Christian that you confess with your mouth, that you confess through going to church, that learning the catechism, that faithful thing, that things that are true even as you struggle with it. Over time, what your heart believes, if there's a struggle between what your heart believes and what you confess as being a part of a church, it's really hard for those two things to stay apart so, for example, um, um, we've seen in the last 10 years on a whole host of um, identity issues, mm-hmm. okay? A lot of times people say, well, I don't believe in my heart of what our church body is doing with that, but I'll stay with it. 
and and they live a life where, in a sense, for a while in their heart, they believe what actually scripture says, and they stick with a church where they confess that it doesn't. And over time, they have trouble living with that dissonance. And over time, what happens to what they believe in their heart? Over time, it matches to what they have confessed in their church. And so this happens in in the Lutheran faith in this way, too. Perhaps you've had this before you went to the seminary. You've believed firmly in things that you understood to be true, but then someone asks you why, and you're like, well... What happens is uh, your confession as being a part of a church uh, um, is something you held to, and and your your what you believe kind of catches up with it. So, so the confession of the church really does matter. So you learn the why, yeah, right, yeah, right. But but one informs the other. Just like I said, mm-hmm. not b- belonging to a church that preaches God's word where you hear God's word, and has a strong, true confession, because it's hard to be discongruent with those things. Um, to go to a church that has a strong, clear confession from God's word, where you know, even as my heart wavers, that you're in a sense, you're protecting yourself from yourself. My heart will want to wander, but the confession of the church is what really brings me back. And, and and to stick with it, even when you go through times of where they're not congruent with what your heart is struggling with, to have the constant confession of the church always consistently bring you back. Uh, um, the, ba- uh, the catechism talks about this mm-hmm. way, where it's in a sense what the old Adam in us by daily contrition and repentance doing. It is, it is lining up the old Adam what it wants, and what it desires with the confession of Scripture, the confession of your baptism, the confession of what God says you are, so that it becomes kind of the one statement again. And the next day, what do you need to do? You have the desires of your heart, and you need to, to match it up again consistently with the confession of God's Word. And you can actually see this in our text that we're talking about, Right? Um, all the outside noise, everything else around her was trying to inform her heart. Oh, right. Yeah, that's right. Right? You know, even Jesus' own words for many would say, oh, don't even, he's even against you, right? But what does she hold? She holds to the confession that she heard. Even while, you know, as she held the confession, I'm not saying she did, she may have had struggles in her own heart of hearts. Is this, you know what I mean? But it is a confession that she held to. Jesus is the son of David, the Messiah, the Savior that brought her back. So you even see that in in this text a little bit from th- that angle. Yeah, it's interesting that we we seem to have the only confession as the Lutheran Church, uh, Missouri Synod, and others that are confessional, but that doesn't change. An unchanging confession. It doesn't change with the times. It makes it hard. <laughs> mm-hmm. It makes it harder and harder, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Right. But I'm reminded of uh, what a, a Lithuanian pastor, I asked him one time, a Lithuanian pastor, this was like 10, 15 years ago. I think his name is Darius Petkunis. And uh, I asked him, uh, what what held you, the church together, the Lutheran church particularly, through that darkness of communism when you met in secretly in churches and you gathered together in a, in a place with gloves and mittens on because you couldn't, had no way of heeding it, and uh, pastors were carried off to Siberia in exile and all sorts of things. And he said, he essentially said, because there were other churches and other, you know, Ideas, but he said the true gospel was the only one that was worth dying for. If it is just some sort of social justice or a social group, yeah, um, that does not provide anything worth dying for. Only the true gospel does, and and uh, and part of that is a solid, continual confession that your church brings, which we even have in confirmation in a way when we. 
take an oath, basically, mm-hmm. that we won't leave the faith. So, um, what you're saying is, you're in a sense, you're making a confession to protect yourself, to remain mm-hmm. in this church and confession, and to suffer all else. What is that saying? It's not saying you're not going to struggle with what's in your heart. It's saying that I understand that my heart is prone to wander, what I believe is prone to wander, and yet I have this confession about God's Word, uh, which, in a sense, protects me, the Holy Spirit keeping me by His Word and promise with the the confession that He has given us. All right, that brings us to number one. We got off the topic there, but that's okay. And number one. I kind of like this, and this might be the way I'm going to go. I saved okay. it for number one. Okay. So number one is this, and it just has a, a dot, 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 an ellipsis in honor of Bert, which you never got to meet Bert. No, but I heard... That's why I, I text you back that way sometimes, that and the praying hands. <laughs> right. So um, it is, my this sermon theme has a dot, 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 okay? Because something we hear all the time, which is true, but I've added a dot, dot, dot to it, okay? No one is saved by someone else's faith. However, dot, dot, dot. Now, why, why would I make that a theme for this text? It shows how, well, the, the woman's daughter is saved by her faith, essentially, which it, I would take it back to baptism. Right. Here is a mother mm-hmm. pleading for, really, when you talk about demon possession, mm-hmm. pleading for the soul of her daughter. And... And so you would say, well, certainly the daughter is only saved by her own faith. Yes. But look what the mother does for her daughter. And especially when you place it in the context of not giving up. Okay. One of the biggest heartbreaks that people have in the church is is loved ones who have fallen away from the faith. And that is one of the biggest challenges to faith because it makes God, in a way, even to the faithful, seem cold. I don't want my loved one to be judged. I don't want my loved one to face judgment. I don't want the devil and I don't want the demons, in a sense, and the evil that they face to overwhelm them. And so look at what God does and says to that exact situation. Look at how this woman of faith, this Canaanite woman, pleads and pleads and pleads and pleads for the sake of the daughter, not trusting in the goodness of Christ, does not give up, trust in the goodness of Christ, trusting that he is Messiah, trusting that Jesus can actually do something about it. And sometimes he might wrestle, He sometimes he says no, But you know what? Trust in him and keep bringing it. And what that does is it it changes for, for people who are struggling with that exact situation. It changes how you see God in that moment. It changes that God turns from being a cold or judgmental God that is going to judge your loved one. And look what it does. It becomes a God who is of mercy. And it reminds you that God may ask you to wrestle, but believe it or not, God is more gracious than you are. He is more merciful than you are. He is a just God. He is going to do what's right. And he hears your prayer, your ardent prayer for the sake of your loved one. So hold God to his promises. Hold him with humility and patience to his goodness and Remind him of his own words to be their shepherd. Remind him of his own promise of what he promised them in their baptism. And hold to those things and do not give up. Keep praying. Keep ringing. Persistence. Persistence. Cling to the yes, even if you don't hear it. And don't stop. Mm -hmm. And don't stop. Right. 
um, and how Christ loves and hears those prayers. To quote one of the others, why do you think he came? Right. I. Uh, so which theme do you like? If you were going to preach, which one would you go um, with? The crumbs one. You like that one? Yeah. Uh, I thought of another one. Maybe I'll explain the crumbs one for a sec a little more. It almost is that argument uh, in the vineyard of the payment for the um, workers that were there all day versus came at the last hour. Because the disciples would have seen that even this Gentile woman who doesn't understand anything but a crumb of the gospel, she doesn't know the whole history that they know with the the, the Pentateuch or anything like that. They she doesn't mm-hmm. maybe doesn't even know much about Moses. But just the crumbs of the gospel she received was enough to produce faith. So it's also a picture of the the church to come, which you did say. But I just thought that is something that would be fun to expand on. This concept of all nations and and the crumbs being enough for saving faith. All right. How about let me do it kind of let's do a quick top five of how not to preach this text. I was gonna say we should do a quick who could come up with the worst Vicar, sermon do title <laughs> for this. Like, All right. Like the worst sermon title for this. Okay. You go first. All dogs go to heaven. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be bad. But there's Yeah. I remember that movie, by the way. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking a bad title would be The Nagging Mother, because <laughs> she kind of just nags Jesus and the disciples. All right. How about this? Uh, and I've actually, this has been preached a few times, not from one of our churches, mm-hmm. <laughs> or not from, yeah, but see, look, even Jesus makes mistakes. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. What's the problem with that? He didn't actually make a mistake. If he made a mistake, then we're all going to hell. Right. Yep. So I thought of one more angle for this. And maybe we talked about it without making it a a theme. Mm -hmm. But if this was a parable, this would be a picture of Christ pleading on our behalf to God the Father in his persistence. And I guess I would tie that in like he does in the high priestly prayer. Mm -hmm. I read that last night. It's very long to read. It takes time to get through it. And it is repetitive, but you see Christ's persistence as he knows he's going to be heading to the cross very soon, pleading on behalf of his disciples that the, that God keeps them in his name. He kept them in his name and he mm-hmm. taught them truth, keep them in the truth. Mm-hmm. So do you think that then, then uh, the Canaanite woman in a sense reflects uh, the priesthood of all believers? Could be. That could be an angle. You know, pleading yep. for her daughter. Yeah. But I just thought if this was a parable, you would say, where's Christ in it? Well, he's the one who pleads on our behalf. Hmm. All right. Well, I did, I'm not, I don't know how we're doing on time because I can't, listener, I have seen thing with, I'm, we don't have Peter, so I just see numbers. I have no idea how much, how we're doing on time. But I, I saw a, a story I don't even know if it's actually true or not. I thought, I wish I had seen while Berg was in our presence. It would bother him. Right. Let me see if I can. Houston cannibal killer ate 31 people over the past seven years. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. So they give a name. Man, it looks like a Russian name or something. I don't know. A 56-year-old could be linked to a number of mysterious disappearances in the area. Twenty Is it like 23 pizza delivery guys? He was interrogated by police after neighbors complained about him using a chainsaw late at night and reported the man being covered in blood. Nothing to see here, folks. When a police arrived on the scene, he was found butchering a dead body in his garage and preparing what police officers described as large quantities of ground meat. Mixed with an aromatic blend of spices. Or aromatic. <laughs> All right. I don't, oh. don't want to, to belabor it, but I, I saw that story and I'm thinking, oh, man, 
Where's Berg when you need him? <laughs> Have mercy. It's like the pizza roll pooper. <laughs> All right. Well, anyways. Uh, having run a meat grinder, I just, it's gross. You can picture it now. <laughs> oh, yeah, because you just bought a meat grinder, didn't I you? I did, yeah. So how would you make that a sermon illustration? That? Right. Oh. Crucifying the old Adam? Yep. <laughs> crucify him good actually there's a point to that is you know your reaction to that story was it like man how do you miss like in the Houston area 23 pizza delivery guys at one point you're like hey let's stop studying this guy <laughs> anyways um, but the reason why like think of your natural reaction to that story mm-hmm. you got it right yeah what is your natural reaction to that? Just complete disgust, right? Yeah, because you picture him eating it and enjoying it. He's even seasoned it the way he likes it. Just a pure... Pure evil, evil. right? Pure disgusting. Okay. All right, now you understand your sin a little better. You know, that reminds me of James. Um, he talks about sin, how it grows in you. It's conceived and born. Can I read that for you real quick? Sure. So he's talking about, uh, we're not tempted by God, right? Mm -hmm. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So it's this picture of a marriage with your sinful desires and even carrying and conceiving giving birth to to it and nurturing and feeding it until it matures to death right so so this i'm going to bring this back to the text okay. all right you're you're like how on earth is he going to bring back this text okay so when we think of our sin like that your reaction to that okay a man who ate 31 people mm-hmm. allegedly and he's probably like, come on, it's only 27. You know, <laughs> your reaction to that, okay? All right. So how do you think our sin looks to the righteousness of God, the holiness of God? To me, this is when you talk about the humiliation of Christ and the way he set himself, his divine nature. Think of what it was like for him, basically, as a holy God, basically walking around with the entire people who are, in a sense, are this guy. Yeah. Right? We're all that guy. Right. Right. So so there are, that's kind of how our sin, your reaction to that is, okay, maybe it helps you understand what our sin looks to the, to the holiness and righteousness and the justice and the perfection of God, right? So then, when you look at how he deals seemingly harshly with this woman, right? How would you respond if that guy, uh, you walked into his garage and you see that and he says, uh, Micah, have mercy on me. What would your reaction be? Let me see your hands. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You would drop your pizza and run out the door. (laughs) Yeah. It's... You understand my point yeah. that I'm making is is we would say, oh, just it's harsh, Jesus. You know, just forgive already. Look how, how nice she is, how lovely she is, and how – but we can't downplay what our sins are. That's the theology of the cross, too, is calling sin what it is mm-hmm. and not the theology of glory where you – Something looks lovely, so you call it lovely. You know, for example, love. Today's con- con- people are confused on what love is. Some things look like love, so they say it must be good. But it's not. It still can be sin. I wish there were like a list of things that teach us how to love. How to love God and how to love our neighbor. Like at least 10 of them? 10 of them would be perfect. Yeah. yeah. Hmm. Maybe next time. Maybe next time. 
Well, thank you for taking a journey alongside us in, we'll call this a preaching workshop on the text today. Um, and uh, I enjoyed it, although I miss Berg. We'll have him back. We just need to give him time to figure out his uh, microphone and for me to figure out my computer today. So, Our p- computer has a demon, So, that was, but that didn't stop us. All right. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Vicar. And may your meat grinder <laughs> not have pizza delivery boys in it. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at P for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.